All right, good morning again, everyone. Please open your Bibles to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter 11. You're all caught up. Um, some of you may have seen that message before. Um, if you are the social media type, maybe you've noticed that uh, picture pop up on your screen uh, a time or two. I'll be honest with you. Um, I actually have a different title for this message, but I changed it because this is usually a message that's, it, this is like a youth group message, okay? So um, it's kind of gross. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. It's kind of a gross message today. I had a different title, a kind of a gross title, but I figured since we're all a little bit more mature in here, right, I should probably clean it up a little bit. Um, so trying to think of a, a different title to use here. Um, came up with this. This actually came about because I got kind of convicted a few days ago. Um, I was, uh, we, were, we were having a little family time uh, in the living room, and we were playing a game. We were playing charades. Uh, you guys know charades, right? You act out something silly, and everyone else tries to guess what it is. I love that game because there's no, there's no game boards to get out. There's no <clears throat> pieces to lose, no dice to try and find, no kids arguing over who gets to be the top hat or any of that, right? It's just, you just got to get up and have a little bit of imagination. Well, now here's the really fun thing about charades. You can pick the regular stuff, you know, dog, cat, any of those sorts of things. But if you really want to have fun, tell them to act out someone else in the room. Right? That's, that's a lot of fun. Hey, uh, pretend to be your mom. Oh, my goodness. That one, yeah. I'm not going to tell you what they did to, for that one. Um, but then... Uh, turnabout's fair play, right? So then it was, you know, pretend to be dad. And my son, uh, he, he goes over and he, he sits down in the chair and all he does is this. Two clicks of the thumb and guess what? All my boys, dad! And I was just like, oh no. And I had to repent. <laughs> I'm like, I'm addicted to my phone. I am losing all phone privileges um, from this point forward because I am just, oh my goodness. He, he like... Spot on. That's what my kids see. Ooh, that's rough. Okay, so <laughs> I guess I had gotten all caught up. It, when, and, you know, and it, it's like you're scrolling, and the next thing you know, you hit this message, and you're like, I really am. I really am all caught up in this. And, and in, in so many ways, that's what we're going to see here this morning um, in, in Numbers chapter 11. Let me give you a little bit of a context of what's happening here. This is during the Exodus. The children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then God sends Moses to deliver his people. Right? Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. Oh, come on. There's a coffee trailer right outside if you need to pick me up. The Pharaoh said no, and so 10 plagues were to follow. Finally, after the 10th plague, Pharaoh says, get out of my sight. And so the children of Israel gather together. They leave. Uh, they go into the wilderness. They get to the edge of the Red Sea. By that time, Pharaoh has changed his mind. He sent the army uh, after the Israelites to get back his slaves. They look pinned. It looks like their, their number is up. There's nowhere for them to go. And then God parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground. And as they climb up onto the other shore in the desert, they turn around just in time to see the, the water cascading, falling back in on itself and drowning, drowning the army of the Egyptians. And so in that moment, the Israelites turning around, looking at what is just a desolate wasteland, has never looked more incredible in their lives because it looks like freedom it's freedom for them. They haven't known it. None of, those, none of those Israelites have ever known what freedom was. 400 years, generation after generation after generation, they lived as slaves, and now they're free men and women, and everything is open possibilities to them. And their leader, Moses, is leading them to a promised land flowing with milk and honey. And they're excited about this, and, and so they go off into the wilderness but, um, you know, camping's fun for a while, right? But, but then you just want your own bed back. <laughs> then you're just ready, to, you're just ready to, to find a working toilet. You're, just, you're ready to find, you know, some food that didn't come out of a package. You're just, you're just ready to go home, right? Well, so long 
camping in the wilderness, as they journeyed, as they wandered, and, and quite frankly, as they wondered, what's happening next? Where are we going? When will we get there? Is this worth it? The wandering and the wondering in the desert place has left the people complaining, and that's where we're going to pick it up in Numbers 11. We're going to start in verse 4. It says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them uh, yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember all the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up, and there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now, the manna was like coriander seed, and its color like the color of bellium. And the people went about and gathered it, ground it, uh, on millstones or beat it under a martyr, cooked it in pans, and made cakes of it. And its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it. So here are the children of Israel. They're out in the, in the desert. They're in the wilderness. There's not a lot of food going on out there. So God provides in his grace. He provides every morning manna. Manna, this, this miraculous provision of food. Uh, it, it says that just like the dew fell in the morning, so too this manna would appear on the ground all around them. Exodus tells us that what they would do is, is they would go outside in the morning and they would take their jars and they would take their bowls and they would begin to gather. Now picture this, if you will. The children of Israel, this camp numbers between two and three million people. Families living in tents together right next to each other. It's like parking at one of those state camps, you know, where it's like a parking lot style camping thing. I'm not really into that, but you know, that's, that's what they were doing, right? Everyone's out there camped together, and every morning, every morning they go outside of their tents with their jars and their bowls, and they begin to pick up the manna off the ground. And, and there's your neighbor, and there's the other person, and every morning the entire nation goes outside and they witness the sunrise together. And they say good morning to each other. And they gather God's goodness off of the ground. And this manna, it says it was like coriander seed. That's, so coriander is the spice that's way in the back of your cabinet. In the, in the, on the bottom, you haven't used it in a few years for the, just that one recipe. Coriander seeds, they're, they're not much different than, they, they're, they're about, they kind of look like um, uh, sesame seeds on your, on your hamburger bun. They're kind of like that, right? Um, and it says its color was like bellium, and that's kind of a yellow, uh, burnt, yellow, burnt orange kind of a, a, a resin kind of a color. And, and Exodus tells us that manna, it, it tasted like, like a wafer baked with honey, like a sweet wafer. And, and Numbers here tells us that it tasted like pastry prepared with oil. They're eating donuts every morning. <laughs> I mean, sweet, bready, rich, right? That's what the oil um, tells us, that that oil had some uh, fatness, a richness to it that provided this. I mean, my goodness, Krispy Kreme every morning. That's, that's pretty cool, I guess, you know? Um, this is what they had, and it was usable. It, verses, uh, you know, 7 through, through 9 there tell us they, they used it to make bread. They ground it. They pounded it. They, they cooked it in pans. They made cakes of it. It was very useful for doing lots of different things. This was God's grace to them every single day. Every single day they went out, they had the blessing of fellowship with everyone else in the nation as they all gathered in the bounty of God's goodness together. And yet, and yet, all they want are the memories they had from Egypt. The fish that we ate for free, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But here's the thing, gang. They didn't have those things in Egypt. They were slaves. Whatever they grew, whatever they harvested, whatever they, they fished, whatever they hunted, it, it, was like a, it was like a communist farm system. They did the work, and then the food went away to other people. They didn't get to enjoy the fruits of their, of their labor. They didn't get to enjoy the harvest. They grew the grain, absolutely. Uh, they, they hunted, they fished, they built the buildings. They did whatever their king, their pharaoh told them they had to do. 
But that's, I don't know about you guys, but in, in my mind, when I see this, I think, boy, isn't, isn't that the way that my mind works sometimes? Sometimes I fool myself with memories that don't exist. Sometimes I, I think back to the good old days. Remember the good old days when you were a slave to sin? When you were in bondage? Remember how fun that was? Getting together with the gang and, and hanging out and doing this stuff and going here and, and the parties and, and all of those fun things. Do you remember how fun that was? And then I think to myself, was it really fun? Was it really fun? It, it wasn't. But somehow, we, we have this mix-up of memory when it comes to the old days, when it comes to our, slin, our, our sin, our slavery, our bondage. We can fool ourselves into believing that, man, things were better back then. Weren't, weren't they fun? Weren't those great memories? You're fooling yourself. Right? I fooled myself for so many years thinking that, man, that was just the greatest thing. But, and, and the children of Israel, they fall into the same the same trap right here, thinking that what they had when they were in slavery is better than, than the bountiful grace and the goodness that God gives them every single morning. So the people are complaining. Verse 10, Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that, that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they're weeping over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. Am I not able to bear all these people? I, or excuse me, I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. Verse 10 tells us, everyone everywhere, standing in the door of their tents, weeping, wailing, crying, complaining. Moses goes, he walks through the camp, millions of people, we want meat, help, we want meat. Everyone, everywhere, can you, it's like my children rummaging through the pantry, right? We want cookies. And how does Moses react to this? How does Moses respond to this? How does the great leader respond to the complaining of the people? He starts complaining. <laughs> Complaining's contagious, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And, and even, you know, Moses, even the best of us, you know, the best of men are men at best, right? And we're all subject to it. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I, maybe I'll show up to work and the latest thing happened and we're, we're, you know, talking about it in the office, and, and I'm thinking to myself, I need to go get some work done, because <laughs> this is not fruitful, right? Like, <sighs> Moses gets caught up in it as well. He starts complaining to the Lord, and his complaint to the Lord, though, is, why have you put this burden on me? Why am I responsible for this? And I love the picture, the imagery that he uses there. He's like, it's like you gave me a whole bunch of babies and I'm supposed to nurse them? <laughs> now, I, I know a thing or two. If you have kids, uh, dads, you know a thing or two about what that's like, right? We had one son who refused anything artificial as a babe. Nothing artificial, no pacifiers, no bottles, like nothing artificial. The kid's going to be a health guru or something. I don't know. And so the most frustrating, the most just disheartening thing to try and I give my wife a reprieve. I take the kid and I go out into the living room and I'm just, I'm just walking circles as the baby just wails and because I, I cannot feed him. Because I, I cannot satisfy him. And I'm trying to 
I'm trying to help. I'm trying to do my thing, but I'm worthless. You know, I'm like a lawnmower with no gas in it. You know, like I'm just sitting there. I, I can't do anything. And Moses says, that's what it's like, God. All these people are screaming for nourishment and there's nothing that I can give them. Why? Why have you put me here? Why have you put this burden on me? I can't carry it alone. And then he says in verse 15, if you treat me like this, just kill me. Now we look at that and we kind of chuckle a little bit, but let's be honest here for a moment. The Bible is a very real book about very real people living in a very real time who are experiencing very real circumstances and processing those with very real emotions. Moses isn't joking. And if we're honest, we've all been there a time or two. We've all been to a place in our life, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we've all been to a place in our life where we ponder our existence, where we ponder the worth of continuing and going on. Now, first of all, let me just say, if that's something you've thought of before and it scares you, it's, it's normal. It's very normal. But let me also say this. If that's something that you think of often, if that's something that, that you struggle with, please talk to someone. Please go get help. Please. It's okay. It's normal. Let someone help you through it. Let someone talk you through it. All of Moses's frustration, all of the stress, all of his fears, his anxieties have led him to this point. Please kill me now. If I found favor in your sight, don't let me see my wretchedness. I want this to be done and over with. Verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, hold up. Do you see what happened there? Did you catch all that? Okay, in, in, in verses 10 through 15, Moses cries out to God and he prays a very real, very raw, very open prayer to the Lord. He's not sugarcoating any of his words. He's not trying to use King James English. He is not, uh, you know, uh, putting a mask on at all. He is very open and raw in front of God. And so in verse 16, God answers him. Guys, if you've come to a place in your life, when we come to places in our lives where we are overwhelmed with frustration, with fears, with our anxieties, with worry, with, with anger, whatever it is, please go to God. You don't have to get your head right before you pray. You understand that? You don't have to get your life right before you go to God. You don't have to fix yourself up before you turn to the Lord. No, this is why we turn to the Lord. If you need to cry through your prayer, then cry through your prayer. If you need to go off to a far hill so you can shout and scream your prayer to the Lord, then go and do that. But be real before God. Be open, be honest. Remember, please, for your own good, be reverent to the Lord. But be real with God. You know, don't, 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 don't pray to the Lord as though nothing's going on. He knows something's going on. He knows how you're feeling about it. And he wants our openness. He wants transparency with us. And what happens when we give that to him? He answers us. The answer may not be the answer you want. It may not be even an answer you can understand. However... That doesn't mean that it's not the best answer. Verse 16, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the same upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it alone yourself. Then you shall say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. 
You shall eat not one day, not two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? Whoa. Anyone having chicken today? This is God's answer to Moses. Moses, I've heard the complaints. I've heard the whining and the weeping and the wailing. And Moses, I hear your complaints. So God begins to give answers. The first answer to Moses, Moses, if you're overwhelmed, then go ask for help. Go get 70 men. Go get 70 of the elders. Bring them to me. If you need help, ask for it. Now, this is interesting because in verse 16, um, just as a little bit of an aside, in verse 16, he says, "Go, Go get me 70 men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them. This is, this is interesting to me, and I want to make note of this, because this is something that we try to do here at Calvary Chapel. Where do we get our elders from? Where did they get their elders from? Where did Moses collect his elders? Did he, uh, did he initiate a, an election? Three million people? or Excuse me, uh, 4.5 million people vote in a three million person election? That was a joke right there. That was kind of a... Yeah. Do they, do, they, do they have a big election? Do people start campaigning, vote for me for elder? Mm, that didn't happen here. Did he have a foot race, like an Olympics thing? Whoever wins a gold medal becomes an elder. Mm, that didn't happen here either. Do they make a list of the, the 70 richest men in the congregation and say these are elders? Mm, they didn't do that either. He said, go find elders whom you know to be elders. These are men who are known for their wisdom. They're known for their patience. They're known for their leadership. They are elders because they have the reputation of an elder. That's what God commanded Moses to do. And so at Calvary Chapel, that's what we try to do as well. Go get men whom you know are helpful and ask for help. Go seek out someone who you know is godly, is wise, is patient, is is a good leader. Go ask them for help. He says, and then I'll come down and I'll talk with you guys. And then he says, now here's the message that you're going to tell the Israelites. Tell them to go wash their hands. Go consecrate yourselves, right? You're going to eat. You're going to eat big. We're going to feast. So go consecrate yourselves. That would mean ceremonial washing, preparations, all of this stuff. He says, because you're going to eat meat. And, and this, is, this, is, this is where it just starts to get disgusting. He says, you're going to eat not just for one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and it makes you sick. It sounds funny, but let me ask you this. Does God joke around? You think, God's, you think God's chuckling as he says that? He says, no, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what's going to happen to you. Because you have despised the Lord who is among you. God says, I camp with you guys. Now, this is before the days of the temple. This is during the days of the tabernacle. All of his people are living in tents. And so God said, build me a tent also. And keep it right in the middle of your camp. And that's where I want to dwell. That's where I will meet you guys. He says, I'm right here among you and you're going to despise me. You're going to despise my grace every morning. There is everything you need for the day's meals just laying out there for you to enjoy as you enjoy the sunrise, as you enjoy fellowship with everyone else. You're going to despise that? You think I can't hear what you're saying? I'm your neighbor. 
why did we ever come up out of Egypt? What kind of a question is that? What kind of a question is that for a slave, a freed slave to ask? Verse 21, and Moses said, Moses' response to God, Moses said, the people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. And you have said, I will give them meat that they shall eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough food for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm become shortened? Now you shall see whether or not what I say will happen to you or not. God gives Moses an answer. And Moses doesn't like it. He doesn't understand God's answer to him. Moses is frustrated. He is at his wit's end. And he prays a very real, raw, open prayer to God. And God answers him and Moses doesn't get it. And you and I have been there before. If you haven't, just wait. (laughs) Moses doesn't understand. How are we going to feed these people, God? Moses still thinks the problem is his problem. You see that? Am I supposed to go and have all the, 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 the flocks of slaughtered? All of our cattle, are we just going to harvest every single animal we have so that we can have this big ridiculous feast, God? He says, I'm, I'm standing among 600,000 men alone, not including women and children. How are we going to feed all them? Moses still thinks this is his problem. Moses doesn't understand God's answer, and so he begins to ask God these sort of ridiculous questions, and so God responds with sort of a ridiculous question. Um, Has my arm become short? Is that out of reach for me now? Do you think, Moses, do you think that there's anything that I cannot reach all of the sudden? But honestly, guys, I mean, we kind of do the same thing. God, how are you going to accomplish that? God, how is that going to happen? God, how are we going to afford that? God, how are we going to pay for that? God, how are we going to take care of that? God, God, how am I going to find a, 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 a spouse? God, how are we going to have children? Whatever it is, we take the problem on ourselves and, and, and we try to limit God's capacity for answering these problems because we're trying to answer them in, in our own. And God says, my arm is a lot longer than yours. If I need to reach all the way across the heavens and the earth, if I need to reach across the universe for the answer, I will reach across the universe for the answer. I will handle it. And he says to Moses, and I, and I love the frankness of God here, he just says to Moses, you're going to see whether what I say will happen to you or not. You can believe it or not. Moses, that's on you, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And you can choose to trust me or not. Verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. Can you imagine that conversation? Uh, you're going to eat and it's going to come out your nose. And um, <laughs> Moses told the people what the Lord said. Uh, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and place them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other was Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed Uh, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. And the young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to camp, he and the elders of Israel. In verse 23, God says, you know what, just wait. Just wait and see if what I'm going to say is going to happen. Moses gets the hint. So he goes and does what God tells him to do. 
Because Moses could have crawled inside of his tent and said, fine, if you're going to do it, God, then do it. Moses got to work. He went out and he, he, first, he held a great big meeting, explained to the children of Israel, here's what's going to happen. Probably a difficult message, probably, probably not very well received, probably sounded uh, a little crazy. But he gave the message, and then he goes and he finds 70 elders. He brings them all to the tabernacle, remember, in the middle of the camp. He brings them all around, and, and then this is, this is an, an absolutely incredible here, and this is one of those things, as a Bible student, you could totally geek out on for, for quite a while. Um, but what they do is they would gather, and, and they would come around the tabernacle, and Moses, when he would go to the tabernacle, you see, that was where God chose to manifest his presence to them. In, in the fire or in the cloud, and the cloud would descend upon the tabernacle, upon the Holy of Holies, and, and Moses would then talk to God. And so God says, invite them into our conversation. Every, these 70 guys are going to be in our meeting. And so these guys come around and, and, and the cloud descends and, and incredible things begin to happen here. Um, God speaks and he takes the, his spirit, the Holy Spirit, that he had put upon Moses and he now, he puts his Holy Spirit upon these 70 elders. And what happens when the spirit comes upon them, and this is important for us to notice, it says that when the Spirit was, was upon them, they began to prophesy, although they never did so again. Now, why is this interesting and why is this important? Well, first of all, we see here that something happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon a believer. Miraculous, incredible things can happen. But we also see that it, miraculous, incredible things might not always happen, Right? We have to have a balanced approach to this. We have to, we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit of God will work and move and do what he chooses to do. Even if he chooses not to. You can't write a prescription. You can't say, this is only how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit falls on these 70 men and they begin to prophesy. And it sounds strange to some. Right? But then, but then to those who would think, well, then that's just how it must normally always be. The Bible records for us very clearly that, no, not this time. Not this time. This time what happened here is they had their moment. They had incredible, miraculous, divine things happened. And then they went home. And that experience was not had again. And that's okay. And that is okay. When we consider the Holy Spirit and how he works in, his, in our lives and how his, the, the power of the Spirit manifests itself in our lives, please re remember to have a balanced biblical perspective when looking at the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's something here that, that troubles some people because there were two guys, two of these elders. Everyone was called, but two of these guys didn't come. Doesn't tell us why. Perhaps they had a good reason. For, uh, who knows? Who knows what it is? It, it doesn't say why they weren't uh, amongst the 70, but they were in the camp. When the Holy Spirit fell, though, it fell upon them as well, and they began to prophesy. Now, obviously, there's a lot of really incredible things happening there at the tabernacle, but now way over here, a million people away, there are these two guys, and now they begin to prophesy. They, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and that kind of freaks some people out over there. So a messenger runs over to Moses. Moses, 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 these two guys who you called, they're not here. They're over there and they're saying weird things. Right? They're prophesying. And so Joshua, who would one day become the Joshua of the Bible, the, the, the book of Joshua, the leader of the campaign into the promised land. Joshua, a young buck at this time, sitting there next to Moses says, Moses, make him stop. And Moses simply turns to Joshua, and I love this because I don't think Moses, I mean, Moses knew what he was saying, but Moses didn't understand the gravity of the words that, that God was inspiring him to say. He said, oh, that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses says, why are you, are you just jealous because they're not here doing my thing? He says, no, I wish that God would pour out his spirit on everyone. And then what happens now to the life of a believer? Where does God's Spirit dwell? 
in everyone who calls on his name. Moses, I don't think he realized. I don't think he realized what he was saying here when he says, I I wish that God's spirit would fall upon everyone. And now, truly, you and I as believers, we get to experience the indwelling, the fellowship of, and the power of the Holy Spirit falling upon us as well. It's prophecy fulfilled, and it's incredible. Okay, now things are going to get gross. Verse 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and left them fluttering near the camp. About a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. And the people stayed up all that day, all night, and all the next day, and gathered the quail. And he who gathered the least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. Moses delivers the message to the people. He brings forth the elders. The Holy Spirit comes. They have their moment. They have their incredible experience with God. And then the day is over, and it's time for everyone to go home. Now imagine, imagine the murmuring that night. Imagine all, all three million people in their tents, wondering, questioning, perhaps very excited, perhaps very young children who didn't really know what this was about, perhaps men and women doubting. Are you kidding me? Tomorrow? Remember Moses' message? Tomorrow, we'll have so much meat, you'll eat it for a month. So much is going to make you sick. And, there, and, and now go to bed and try to think about that. How is that going to happen? Where are we going to get all this food from? Is, we'd have to slaughter every, every animal in the camp in order to feed everyone. God gives them an answer, and they're still restless and sleepless at night. They're still full of doubt. They're still, I don't think it's too difficult to, to consider that this is going on. I mean, put yourself in their sandals, right? How are you going to react to that question, that, that statement, that, that promise? How is this going to happen? You know, boy, it would be so nice. It would be so, it would be so Sunday school if they all just said, okay, and went to bed and had a great night's sleep, right? But that's not how we consider problems, is it? Right? How is this going to happen? So at night, all night, who knows how long, a lot of the Israelites stayed up trying to figure out what was going to happen. Imagine the doubt, the worrying and the wondering still. But overnight, there was a storm, a storm that came from far away. A lot of wind came through, and the storm brought with it quail, tons and tons of quail. And it says that, that the quail <clears throat> was, was laying scattered all around the camp, um, it, it, just great piles, two cubits deep. It's like, like literally piles of birds just laying all around out there. And so they get up in the morning and they see, what is this? And now they begin to go and they start, they start picking up all these birds. They're, they're like, there for the taking. And they start gathering for about a day and a half. They start gathering and, and, and collecting all these dead birds. And it says that, that even the one who gathered the least gathered 10 homers. Now, for a little perspective here, uh, 10 homers of quail would be, according to one Bible scholar, um, would be about 200 buckets of KFC. Imagine trying to pick that up through the drive through window. Imagine trying to order that on Dash or whatever, you know, those delivery places. That's a lot of chicken. And that's the least that they gathered. And so what happens here? Well, the Bible tells us here, 
um, in, in verse 32, it says they had so much that they, they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. They're trying to figure out how to preserve these birds, and so they're making jerky out of these things, right? And so now, again, picture, this is camp, three million people, and there's tents everywhere, and now there's birds. Everyone's got at least 200 buckets of KFC per person in their houses, in their tents, in their families, and they're trying to preserve this stuff. Because this is going to feed them for a month, right? And so now what you have everywhere, on every surface, on, on every tree branch, on every chair, there's raw bird baking in the sun, being preserved. You begin to see what's happening here? That's a lot of raw poultry everywhere. And they're eating it as well. I mean, they are just devouring this. And then in verse 33, it says they were struck with a great plague. Now, it doesn't take a CDC expert to figure out what's going on here, right? Every, where do you preserve that much raw poultry? Literally, every surface is covered with these birds. They're trying to preserve every jar, every pot. They're trying, to, they're trying to pickle the things. They're trying to dry the things out. They're trying to cook the things. There is raw meat everywhere, and this is not a clean environment. They're camping. And now they're feasting. And they're feasting on, on, on this raw poultry that's been sitting in the sun that's been sitting on tables, that's been sitting on chairs, that's been sitting on the ground, been sitting on rocks. And they're feasting on this. What plague did God give them? He simply gave them what they wanted. He gave them their own desires. He gave them what they cried for, what they complained for. He just gave them what they wanted. So much of it. He gave them so much of what they wanted. They made themselves sick. Absolutely sick. And now we understand how all of this meat starts to come out of their noses. If you've ever been food sick, right? If, if you've ever experienced the food coming out the way it came in right? You're vomiting. No doubt, it's coming out of both ends, right? I told you this was gross. But now here's the grosser thing. If you're backcountry camping, where do you use the toilet? You're digging holes, right? You imagine, and, and I... Guys, I'm not doing this just to try and make you grossed out, but this is something that we would do well to understand the depravity and the disgust that the children of Israel have gotten themselves into because of their lust and their greed and their complaining. Everywhere you walk, there's holes in the ground. And day in and day out and day out, you're running, you're running out for bushes behind rocks. You're trying to find a place that doesn't have bird drying on it to try and find a place to use the bathroom or to vomit. And it's just everywhere. And the smell, the smell, all of that poultry and, and, and the sickness that everyone is experiencing in a very unclean culture, in a very unclean, uh, excuse me, presence, Replace? It's just, it's absolutely disgusting. But how did they get there? How did they end up so absolutely disgusted and sickened? Where did it all start? Turn back with me to the beginning of chapter 11. How did they get caught up in all of this? Verse 4. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yield or gave in to intense cravings or to their lusts and their passions. And so 
the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? Where did this all start? The mixed multitude. Who is that? What is that? Well, here's the thing, gang. When the children of Israel left Egypt, they didn't leave alone. The Egyptians had slaves from all over the known world at the time. They were the mightiest empire in the known world at the time. They had slaves from Africa. They had slaves from Europe. They had slaves from the Middle East. The Egyptians had all kinds of slaves, not just the Israelites. And so as the Israelites, as slaves, as they were being freed, as they were being let go, a number of other slaves of other people and cultures came with them. And not only that, but we also see in Exodus that a lot of Egyptians supported the exodus of the Jews. Right? The Bible tells us that that some whose slaves served in their houses or served on their farms even gave them great gifts, gave them jewelry, gave gave them treasures and money and things for their journey, for their trip, for their exodus. Some Egyptians even went with them. And so what happened when they came across the Red Sea and they landed on the other side? Absolutely, the Jews were free, but so were so many others. So many others who did not believe the Lord. So many others who worshipped their idols or their pagan gods. So many others who didn't believe in in a god or a deity at all. There were so many others with them. And by chapter 11, verse 4, it says, now this mixed multitude, those who didn't, who, who, those who, who hadn't given their lives over to the Lord, they began to give in to their intense cravings. They began. They started all of this. And the children of Israel, they got caught up in it. They got caught up in it. This mixed multitude gang, it's a picture of the world the world that we live in, the world that we're in, but we're not supposed to be of, the world that has all of these intense cravings and the world that's all about satisfying its lusts. And it is so easy for us to get caught up in it. I tell you what, social media, for all of its benefits and for all of the, the, the ways that we use it to preach the gospel and to spread God's love, and you know, for all of its benefits, it's also wrecking people too. Right, study after study, what it does, um, especially to young people, especially to our children. You can be having a great day, and then you, you get on. And it doesn't even have to be social media. It can be the news headlines, it can be videos, it can be whatever. But now suddenly you're comparing your life to somebody's filtered, picture-perfect life on social media. You're, you're, you were having a great day until you read this headline that was Perhaps fake news also. You don't even, we don't even know anymore. Isn't it interesting how quickly our perspectives, our attitudes, our day can change just because of what the world is caught up in, right? We get caught up in it too. And then we, like the children of Israel, we find ourselves disgusted, and sickened by the influence of the world. And we shouldn't have been there in the first place because we gave up looking for and recognizing the incredible grace of God before us every single day. They were living in a miracle every morning, every morning as they gathered the manna. And so too, you and I, Is your family a miracle to you? Parents, when you held your child for the very first time, could you figure that out? Did that not blow your mind? Guys, we we experience God's grace in powerful ways every day. But we find ourselves disgusted and sickened when we allow the world to influence us, when we allow the world to to cause us to complain, when we get caught up in what the world is doing. Turn with me finally 
to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. I'm not going to teach. We're going to read together. If you are able, would you please stand? Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty lies according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for, for giving us that correction, for, for giving us, Lord, strength and power, for giving us wisdom, Father, for being our influence, Lord, for, for being our all in all, Lord, that, that we are complete in you. And forgive us, Father, for when we stray and when we try and find our identity or, or when we try to find our fulfillment in the things the world is trying to influence us with father we want to repent of that right now this morning lord we we want to we want to walk away from that and and god many of us we're sorry lord if we have allowed the world to sicken us and disgust us and if we've gotten caught up in it lord Lord, we want to instead every day recognize with joy the blessings that you are raining down upon us in our lives. Help us have that perspective, Lord. And thank you, Jesus. Now, as Lord, as we, as we recognize you during this time of worship and communion, God, I pray that you would help us to focus our hearts. Help us to pray very honest, very real prayers, Lord. Help us to meet you in a very real way. In Jesus' name, amen.